What's going on? Rich here, bringing you another episode of the Reinforced Running Podcast. Well, actually, today I'm bringing you an episode where I was the guest on a podcast. I joined my friend Jace Craft on the science of sports recovery. We talk about a lot of things. We do a deep dive on kind of how to balance stress with uh, training and also with your career. We talk about how to use your macronutrients in terms of recovery, which is a topic we talk about from time to time here, but there's some specifics and some cool tools that we talk about that can really help you figure out the best way to manage your energy levels between the work that you're doing and the food that you're eating. And also a little bit of more of a background of me and how I kind of came up uh, through sports and, and kind of found myself where I am today. So Jace did a great job. I had a great time chatting with him. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Here's my friend Jace Graft and the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Hey, Rich. Great to have you on the show, man. Jace, what's up, dude? Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I know you probably better than most of our listeners do, um, just because you're you are my coach. But <laughs> I want to get like the backstory on Rich. How do you enter into running and endurance sports? Like, what was your first sport you got into? First ever, like first ever, like three, four, five years old. Yeah, I think I was pretty rammy as a kid. And as soon as there was the opportunity to play a sport, I think my parents were like this kid needs to go like <laughs> run around. So yeah, I did like soccer, you know, like the, what do they call it when they chase the ball around? So it's like, like scrum ball or something. I don't know, like yeah. little kid soccer, <laughs> there's nothing going on just to get some energy out. It's like a big pile of uh, people just running around just where the ball is <laughs> swarm ball. I think they swarm. call it swarm ball. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're just swarming around. So I played swarm ball for, you know, a couple of years and then got into all the sports that you play as a little kid, football, basketball, baseball, depending on the seasons. Um, so and athletics was everything, every sport, every se- any season it was, that was my favorite sport to play. It didn't mm-hmm. matter. Like when it was the fall, favorite sport was football. When it's yeah. the winter, it was basketball. Yeah. So it was always just been like ingrained in my life since like, before I could really think properly. Yeah. So, so when did that start changing for you? Because I was very similar as a kid where like, this is the best And you know, during soccer season, I'm going to be a pro soccer player during baseball. I'm going to be, you know, MLB. Uh, but then I got to a point where like, okay, now running's my thing. Right. So I think where things kind of stopped just being fun. What do you think? We're around like seventh or eighth grade were thing or like even like fifth or sixth grade like sports take on a pretty big meaning and i remember mm-hmm. like how much the championship basketball game meant and like the 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 summer league baseball tournaments were like the biggest deal in the world and like looking back on it, it was like this little town that you know yeah. a bunch of little kids playing and like nobody went anywhere to play baseball but in that moment it was so big so I think, yeah. you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade when there started to be like tryouts and, and cuts and there's like you're, comp- you're, you're like getting recognized mm-hmm. for your accomplishments as an individual, I think yeah. was when things really kind of started to change and be a little bit more serious. Um, I played baseball in the spring and I had a bad experience on a team. Like 
I was really good at baseball until like they could, the pitcher started throwing curveballs, and then it became oh. much, it became much harder. <laughs> I could hit a straight ball forever, but a curveball yeah. is tough. So, uh, but I was a good pitcher, and there was one experience, one season where I was always, I was on the younger age of the team, but I would always be like, he would call it the bullpen, and I would come mm-hmm. in to like be the relief pitcher, but that, that was all I was doing. I wasn't seeing the field much, and I really liked to hit like the whole game, and I just was like, this is not really what I like about this sport. Um, so the following year, I went out for track and field as a freshman in high school in mm-hmm. the spring after a football and basketball season, and I went out for high jump to improve my vertical jump for basketball. I thought that's okay. how that was going to work. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's kind of six foot. Okay. So I was, a, I'm an, I was an undersized small forward. That's kind of my position. I would, would, would get in the lane, kind of knock people around, decent offensive rebounder, not great handle, not great passing, but I could score. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, what did, what was your position? I was point guard. I'm five, eight though. So five, eight. And I was like 130 pounds in high so school. Yeah. So, so you're calling for the outlet tiny. passes. You weren't, you weren't yeah. going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Baseline jump shots, like 15 feet baseline that was my go-to yeah <laughs> basketball was my thing i loved basketball my I have like a basketball family like my dad played and he was obsessed with mm-hmm. it and my brother he actually works for the nba now so he was oh, like nice he was obsessed with it is still obsessed with it so it's like kind of in my blood so i thought that yeah. was really going to be my route and i was sure. good as you know growing up um you know, seven eighth ninth and then when i started to get more serious about track and field and cross country is when I stopped practicing for basketball because I was, I was, my passion started to leak into cross country and track and field mm-hmm. and then spending time there. Yeah. Why um, do you think that is the, what, where I like kind of lost the time or what do you mean? Why, why do you think you started gravitating towards cross country and track as opposed to basketball? I got really good at cross country and track, you know, like I came yeah. out, I went out for the high jump and didn't do well in that, but then I found myself in some open 800s, uh, eventually ran like 205 as a freshman. And then the cross country guys got me and were like, you need to run cross country. And I was playing football at the time mm-hmm. and they convinced me to, to run cross country. And um, I saw some pretty good success as a sophomore on the team. I was like our number three guy on a pretty good team. I qualified for the the, the state meet and then uh, sophomore mm-hmm. year in track, I ran 430 uh, in the mile and like too flat, I think. So it was like, okay, I was a, I was a contributor at the varsity level and sure. a, like a contender in like the league and like district is what we call it here in Pennsylvania. And even like competing at the state level as a younger athlete where mm. in, in, in basketball, I was going to like, you know, I was going to play varsity my junior year and just kind of be a contributor, you know, and, and there was probably not going to be much in terms of the next level. So I think pretty quick, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be an athlete in at the collegiate level, it's going to be as a runner and uh mm-hmm. A cross country guy. Yeah. So then you, you went to a D one school. Where'd you go to school? I went to St. Joseph's university in Philadelphia. It's um Atlantic 10. So it's like a mid major, um, be like Xavier is in our conference from the more Midwest, but like mm-hmm. LaSalle is usually the best program that in, I'm trying to think what else like Duquesne, those type of schools. It's a sure. good basketball conference running. It's like, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> yeah. There'll be like some individual qualifiers for national championships that we won't see teams make it to mm-hmm. like uh, the cross country nationals or anything like that, but you'll get like, some pretty good individuals here or there. Yeah. Yeah. By similar to the summit league out here where it's like three, four five, maybe probably get it in the endurance athletes. But I mean, 
our D2 schools are beating our D1 schools as far as the team goes out here. Who, who's in that league? <laughs> the Summit League? Yeah. It's uh, South Dakota State, uh, University of South Dakota, Oral Roberts, who's, you know, killing the March Making Madness. Yeah. Um, and um, like the North Dakota I, States and all that. Yeah. Yeah. North Dakota, um, all the North Dakotas. Yeah. Um, and then there's like a IUPUI or something. Ooey pooey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll make the tournament sometimes too and make a run, but yeah, like probably schools like that, maybe a little bit better. I don't, I've never really seen them sure. in any type of, type of stage, but like whatever it's semantics at that point, they're not, it wasn't like a, we weren't going against Oregon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how'd your D one, um, like career go? Was it everything that you thought it would be, you know, how did that turn out for you? Yeah, I didn't really know what the expectations were of myself going into. It. I knew I didn't want to be the the top runner on the team. So like going division one was important for me from that perspective. Um, and I wanted to be pushed to be better, but I wasn't ready for college in general as mm-hmm. like an adult. I wasn't ready to okay. kind of be on my own and to dive into my own type of personal pursuits that was outside of sport. Mm-hmm. So initially coming in lifestyle was hard. Um, like definitely didn't, what didn't have a good grasp on, on recovery, on nutrition. Mm-hmm. And my performance went into the tank right away. I got sick. I put on some weight. I just was like really underperforming. And it was like pretty devastating at that point because everything up to that point, you know, I started playing swarm ball as, and like as a four-year-old now yeah. scoring goals, playing swarm ball, tell you that crushing but, it, crushing it. But <laughs> so like from that moment, my identity was that of an athlete. Right. And a mm-hmm. lot of my self-worth came from the achievements that I would, that I would produce as an athlete. So when that kind of went away and then I was at school and I had to kind of figure out all this other stuff, like it was hard, <laughs> you know, it was hard. It was really hard for the first probably year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, I, I stitched it together my sophomore, junior year, and then got hurt again my senior year, but I was able to kind of put together, I don't know, maybe six good seasons out of the total. What do we get? 12, 12. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe like half the time there, I was like decent. I got into the steeplechase and that went fairly well. Um, ran nine Oh eight in the steeple. Um, which was like a decent time at the time. It was all conference, but like, I was going to say that probably placing at conference and stuff. Yeah. Placing at conference. It was like just shy of the national qualifier at the time. It was like, I think it's, cha- it's definitely changed since I've been to school. This mm-hmm. was 2006, seven, um, where division one regionals, there was a qualifying time. Then you go to the regional race to qualify into the nationals. Now mm-hmm. I think they just take the top X amount of times. So, yeah. They like, which makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was very hit or miss. So when I look back on it, it was like, eh, type of experience. Yeah. Well, you have, you have the classic story of of lifestyle impacting your performance. And in college, I get asked a lot because um, I went to college and I went from like a four nineteen to a four fourteen and four ten in two years in the mile, and I get asked a lot by. Um, you know, seniors coming in, like, how do you make sure that you, you know, are good in college or whatever? And I said, it all comes down to lifestyle, because I've seen so many college, young college athletes come in and be like, you know, on top of their game, and then not be able to handle the lifestyle and just kind of never get better. But then those that are come in with the right um, 
habits, I should say, uh, you know, they, they start to excel and see stuff from the get go. Um, but then obviously you have to worry on the other end of going too far, um, maybe too focused or too like strict on everything's training and you have no life because then you can get hurt the other way um, by doing too much and putting too much stress on yourself too. Yeah. And I found that when I did kind of go all in a couple of times and didn't see the results that I really had wanted, like I thought everything I was doing was right. Um, And it was extremely demoralizing because it's like, okay, I'm making these sacrifices and doing the things that I thought I should be doing. I'm really not seeing the results. Mm -hmm. And there's a combination of things, right? It's definitely lifestyles, definitely habits and things like that. But it's also like training load and like trying to like really adapt to what's happening there and what's Mm -hmm. happening within your program and how you're, you're being mentored and brought up. Like those are also parts that, um, that need to be considered and like that all kind of play together. So yeah, my lifestyle was out of whack and then my adaptation uh, in terms of like what I could do in that program took a little bit of time to catch up as well. Once mm-hmm. things kind of got squared away, did you come in with the appropriate habits or how did you kind of navigate that early? Um, yeah. So I, I ate really well. Um, as far as like college athlete goes, I slept really well. Um, and I think the thing that got me was trying to just eat, eat well, but not enough. Like I got to a point where, uh, in one of my exercise science classes, they took like this body fat percentage or whatever. And, um, they did uh, like a skin full test on me and tested me at like 3% body fat. And they're like, wow, that's not healthy. A bod pod. And they're like very similar results. And they're like, this isn't good. Like you need to get more like higher body fat percentage. And then that was right at where like I hit the 410 mark, but then I could never get past that. I never improved from that. And my performance started to go backwards essentially i was putting in the same amount of work um but i couldn't ever do that so i think i suffered more on the the other end of it where i was just like um i didn't want to eat anything unhealthy but then i just got tired of eating healthy foods which i'm not saying like that i should have been eating more brownies and ice creams and that stuff i just needed more volume of the other food that i got bored of eating and stuff so And even at the point when you're that age and doing that much work, like the brownie is going to provide at least some sort of fuel for you, Mm -hmm. you know, as, and sometimes it can go that way too, where if you do kind of, I've seen where people do kind of buy all the way in and they do what they are quote unquote clean eating, but then they cut out a lot of their fuel sources. Like they cut out a lot of fats and they cut out a lot of carbohydrates Mm -hmm. and end up eating like, you know, fruits and vegetables and fruits, you can definitely get some carbohydrates out of and get some, but it's like, you have to eat a lot. (laughs) You have to eat a lot of fruits to get the, the amount that, a collegiate level runner needs to needs to meet and then then their weight drops and the performance drops and it's like mm-hmm. I'm, I, I thought I was eating healthy and that's like the different that's what's different between what the general population needs to do for their health and wellness and what an athlete needs to do for their performance and just yeah. their your, their total bodily function right because I'm, yeah. I'm, you probably had some like hormonal imbalances being that low in body fat dude is like it's a little scary <laughs> like but like you probably didn't even know do you know did you feel funny Um, not really, but it kind of did mess with my head from a a mental standpoint because I was, 
my, my freshman year, I came into college and I weighed 137.8 before uh, indoor conference. And I ended up winning the mile and the 1K, which I wasn't supposed to, but it was like the best performance of my life. And I was like, okay, that's my race weight, you know? Right, right, right. right. Um, but then as you get more muscle throughout college or, you know, whatever, my body just kind of shifted into leaner and, and stuff. I was staying, trying to keep the same weight, but I wasn't, it wasn't a healthy way. Um, and I've seen athletes do this too, where they keep a higher weight until like a couple of weeks before their performance. And then they kind of come down a few pounds, which I don't know uh, if that's necessarily healthy or not. I'm not, if you're listening to this, I'm not saying that's what you should do. But I've if you've seen it, seen yes. it. Um, <laughs> but for me, I was just trying to keep that weight because I knew that's what I raced well at. Um, and, and I think that was part of my problem too, but. And that's something too, like, yeah, it's like, you knew what it was to the 10th of a pound, right? Like you knew exactly what you weighed when you yeah. had your, the best performances that you can look back on. And it's like, where is the balance there? And like, how, how do you educate the, these young athletes as to what's appropriate for their performance mm-hmm. and have it be something other than like a number on the scale? Because like, you obviously checked like the day of or the day before. Oh yeah. Right. No, it was a uh, morning, every morning you'd go up and be like, all right, today's going to be a good day, you know? <laughs> right. And then it turns or, or it's the, the opposite. It's like, Oh, I, I mean, I've done that for sure. I do that still, still sometimes where I get on mm-hmm. scale. I'm like, Oh man, my day's bad now, but like, it's, yeah, <laughs> and it's, it, it's not, it doesn't mean anything. It changes always, but like, yeah, it's hard to, to shift out of that mindset. At least for yeah. me is what I found. It's like, I know I'm, I have better potential to run faster weighing this weight than what I would if I was two pounds heavier or what I weighed when I ran poorly and I weighed this mm. weight, you know, and like, there's so many factors involved with it, but it's just the easiest thing to kind of point to as a runner, which is like, unfortunate. Yeah. And there's, there's like your weight varies so much. Like it's so kind of arbitrary to say for me, you know, looking back on it, 37.8 was like my, you know, racing weight because I could have been dehydrated when I weighed in, you know, and then right. actually when I was competing, I was probably heavier than that or vice versa, you know, and stuff. So it's like your weight's going to change throughout the day by a few pounds anyway. So as long as you're not like gaining 15 pounds, you shouldn't be, you know, that worried or concerned about it. And that's what is a good practice to actually do, like, because the scale is a little tricky because you're associating a lot to this number that really doesn't carry any weight, right? Mm-hmm. To not poor choice of words, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. it it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. But being able to get on the scale consistently and mm-hmm. see how things change does it helps me anyway. It's like okay, this is just how it works. Like you're not just one weight all of the time. Mm-hmm. And if you get on it every single morning, you'll see how things kind of average out over the course of 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. And, and like there are sometimes there's massive swings and they just go away. You can't put on fat. You can't lose fat like an, in an instant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just can't. Um. Yeah. I, I joke um, that I, I have the, the weight loss plan is you do 24 by 400s at night 
and then you don't drink too much water Well, you drink enough water to sustain a long run the next morning and you'll lose 10 pounds <laughs> like, <laughs> in 12 hours. I can lose 10 pounds whenever I want. Now that doesn't stay off <laughs> as soon as you drink but, water. Yeah. <laughs> but it just goes to show like your weight varies and stuff. So I sweat, I sweat so hard that I will lose like eight pounds in a, in one run. Man, that's crazy. I sweat like crazy. Yeah. So like, I will do that. Like there is a way that you can take the amount of weight that you were before and after, and, and that's how much there's like a formula that that's how much water you need to replenish. Do you know that? Do you, have you heard this? I, I've heard it. I don't sweat know. Replacement calculation. It's, I don't necessarily follow it either, but, and that's a, that's a question that we'll definitely get when it comes to the summertime. It's like, how much water should I drink? It's, that's, it's a really tricky one, you know, mm-hmm. but if you want to have any type of specific thing for you, like that's kind of a good way to do it. I forget the exact yeah. formula. So I just monitor my pee. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Just making sure I'm not, like knowing if I'm thirsty or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, so before we get into, the I want I want to just kind of tease your brain on perspective of coach versus athlete and you're both now you're playing parts of both yeah. um, but obviously you went from swarm ball from yeah. you know a four year old to now being a Spartan pro um, how did you get into Spartan after college and uh, why do you think you're excelling here where maybe you didn't see as much acceleration in um, D one college. Yeah. Um, so I think as soon as I left college, I found, I I got into the weight room a little bit in college. Our weightlifting program was so bogus at at school. Like our coach told us to go in the morning. He didn't go. He told us to go like two days a week, no program, just go to the weight room. And we just like stand around and then go run, do like a four mile double in the morning. And that was, that was weightlifting. (laughs) Um, but by the end I was in the weight room a little bit in summer. And then I got into it. My first job actually out of school was working at a gym. Um, because, uh, well, I blame, I blame it on like the financial crisis is right when I graduated, sure. but it was because I was not prepared to, to be a contributing member of the workforce. So I, I went back <laughs> and worked like the front desk at the gym. So I was there, but it, so, and so I've been in the fitness industry pretty much since then. Yeah. Um, but so I got into, I got into the, the gym then, but it was all still to try to figure out how to improve my running. It was still based around that. It's like, how can I use this as a tool to improve as a runner? Um, and then that, and then just doing like regular gym style workouts for a while. Then I found myself into CrossFit around 2011 is when that really started to come onto my radar and I started to kind of get into that a little bit too. And that was just so fun. That's just like a, a, a way to get, get the competitive outlet out. And, and at the time I was really injury riddled. I would get hurt a lot. I'd get like eight to mm. 10 weeks of good training in and then I would get hurt. And so I never was really able to kind of put things together um, post collegiate in any type of race. I think, I think 2010, I had a, a, a decent stint where I had three or four good races in the, over the course of probably about those eight to 10 weeks. And then and then that's when these the race, I think the first race that I ever saw that was an obstacle course race was called the, the urban athlon. It was something men's health put on. This was right around that same time, like 2010. Okay. And it was like in Chicago and New York, I was like, you jump over cars. And I think there was maybe some <laughs> monkey bars here or there. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm training for this. I'm going to be awesome at this. Um, and that was like the first time I was on my radar, but I never actually did one until 2013. 
as I was running and doing CrossFit. And I didn't mm-hmm. really totally commit until 2016. So from 2010 until I actually really committed to it till yeah. 2016, it was like on my radar. I was like, I'm going to do this one day. It's just a matter of like committing to it and, and having the, all the life factors kind of line up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my mindset around wanting to be good at this or thinking I was going to be good at this uh, was why I have stuck it out the way that I did. Cause it wasn't easy at first, you know, like I thought I was going to have everything prepared. I thought I was gonna be prepared to, to do it all. Like having uh, this runner background and looking at obstacle course racing from the outside as a runner, you see these athletes and you're like, they're not good runners. And like yeah. the, ter- the, the terrain is, is very deceiving and the times are really deceiving and how long it takes things to take to do things it's mm-hmm. it's hard to understand when you're not in it so looking yeah. from the outside you're like these guys aren't runners and they don't look necessarily like runners and they might not they're not names you recognize so mm-hmm. it's like okay like these people aren't going to be as fast as i am but the terrain and the obstacles and the, the the experience that you need to do well in them it takes time so what i really attribute what level of success i've had in obstacle course racing is just committing to it and having done it mm-hmm. and have got my butt kicked for, you know, 18 months. <laughs> and then finally like really just learning it and, 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 and sticking with it. But I think yeah. just because my training was kind of pointed toward it accidentally for so long mm-hmm. that I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of built to do this. So yeah. I just need to kind of figure it out. Yeah. So it's more just like the perseverance <clears throat> of it, I guess. Why don't you think running translates as well as, one might think it would to obstacle course racing. I think it's just the like high end, like high end runners. It's there's no element of uh, like unknown, you know, like mm-hmm. you're set and you can sit at a specific pace and you can get to its incredible level of output that you just cannot achieve on an obstacle course race just the terrain is so bad the footing is really bad there's stuff in the way you have to slow down like like so you can never quite express your full potential as a runner when you're on the course Mm. so you have to kind of lower that bar and and want to express your potential as an obstacle course race athlete and shift that mindset i think that's why a lot of runners don't actually stick it out too like they're they they're like this is like i'm more fit than the results that i'm getting so i don't quite understand how this works like mm-hmm. I, I and then you have to change things you have to change a lot of the the training that you're doing and and you have to like the style of training that you're going to get into right like mm-hmm. and so i think it's a matter of the runners not being willing to adapt to the elements of obstacle course racing in their training for a prolonged period of time because like if you get good at running as an obstacle course race a- athlete like someone like ryan atkins who like on a 10k you and i we would kill him like mm-hmm. we would just beat him but on even a 3k obstacle course 5k obstacle course mile obstacle course probably he's probably gonna take it to us even though we have so much more high end output he just is faster an obstacle course racer it's just a different thing it's just not a running event yeah interesting because (laughs) yeah yeah it looks it looks like a running event but i can attest to just some of the workouts that you've been having me do and i've been doing on my own before I even met you was like, it's so different running when your arms are tired than Mm -hmm. just running. Like you would think, Oh, okay. You do, you know, a bunch of pushups or whatever, then go run. Like your legs shouldn't be tired, but 
your arms, like it's hard to run without your arms. And uh, if somebody is listening to this and like, I wanted to get a feel for that, just do push-ups till failure and then take off and like run. And you'll see what I mean by it's just like hard. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not like where we as runners want to be. We want to yeah. get to that level of like where discomfort like meets comfort and just kind of like sit there and hang mm-hmm. out. And it's just not that. And it's almost like that. And it doesn't make sense, right? From someone like like yourself who has like the exercise science background, like thinking about how to train for something like this, it, there's it's nothing proven. There's never been like in the lab. There's no way to really know mm-hmm. exactly what's happening and why you're improving in it. So like it's hard to do weird stuff in training you know yeah so like to just to justify it's like i don't this this, this seems stupid why wouldn't i just do the threshold work i know that works yeah exactly you know so i think there's a little bit of that too yeah that makes total sense so uh so now being a, a coach and an athlete yourself there's obviously there's a lot of people in a similar situation well maybe they don't have the coaching background but they're their own coach mm-hmm. um so how do you deal with like the um, the coach and you saying you need to do this and the athlete saying, yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, that's taken a lot of practice and I took it out of my hands for a while. Like I did, I've definitely, I find the value in coaching and I do appreciate that. And I, I always have some sort of, of coach in my life, whether that is in athletics, like strength, uh, business, whatever it is, like there's usually someone that's helping me like figure out the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the beginning that that's definitely hard because there is that second guessing, you know, have you, have you coached yourself much? Um, yes. I, How was it? Um, through high school, it was okay because that was the only thing I had to focus on. I had no other life and you coached you know, yourself I, in high school. I did. Yeah. Um, because my coach wasn't like trained as a distance coach and I had two older brothers, they were in college. So I kind of took what they did and I read mm. a lot and that kind of stuff. So I put my own training program together, but I also pushed myself harder than probably what my coach would have done. Cause I was running like 85 miles a week in, in high school Wow. Um, and stuff. So I was, that turned out pretty good. I, I mean, I ran a 419 mile in high school and I was like number two in South Dakota uh, and stuff. But after college, I started coaching myself, um, and up to you coaching me, I was coaching mm-hmm. myself and it just wasn't the same because, you know, now I have, uh, my own business and I have, uh, you know, this podcast that I'm running and I just became, you know, a new dad and, uh, I have a wife and, you know, all these other right. responsibilities that I just didn't have the headspace then to sit down and say, okay, here's the plan. And no, you're sticking to it. You know, there's, there's so much, um, I don't know, kind of stress or, um, energy it takes to not only say, this is what I'm going to do, but actually do it. Yeah. And stress and energy, the same, like they're essentially the same, right? Like anything that is going to take, like take exertion. And that is a good way to put it, right? It's like sitting down and and actually mapping it out and having to put yourself in that mind space as mm-hmm. to what you want to accomplish it's hard as opposed to like oh, i don't know i'll just run for 45 minutes today um yeah so i do i put myself in that headspace like i do have as a coach and i i'm very systematic about how i approach 
the way my day is, is like set out and where my programming time is. And I just kind of put myself in there like I'm an athlete that I'm coaching. So from the programming point, I've actually gotten pretty good at creating space for myself there. Um, And then like the point of like, like where I found support outside of like where a coach would, would do for you outside of just a program Mm -hmm. is just like having camaraderie with uh, some of the people, some of my peers in the sport. Right. And like, just Mm -hmm. like, we kind of created this, this team together. It's called torque. It's the obstacle racing collab. And we're all here that are, are kind of on the same level of sport uh, of athlete in this sport. So we're able to kind of kick things back and forth and be able to talk about that, that stuff that is outside of just the training, which has been helpful and like finding, and like also working within a specific, like, mental model around like why I'm doing what I'm doing has been really helpful as well. So like the way I kind of justify my training is I put myself through things that I want to know how they feel and what's going to work. And like I've spent a lot of my time researching like different methods uh, within running outside, outside the sport, like, and and figuring out how to kind of put all these things together. So using myself um, like an athlete, I was coaching seeing what's happening And so I link that to, so I link my training to my coaching business, right? And if I can become a better coach, I can then be a better provider for my fiance and for the family that I hope to have, right? So like, to me, I have this all kind of intertwined together so that like all these pieces need to work in unison to create this end goal that is bigger than just like running a fast 10K or like doing well at the national series, you know? So it's taken time, but, and, and, and sometimes it feels weird and feels selfish to train so much. Right. Mm-hmm. So that is a way that I've been able to really separate myself from those feelings and, and put all of my effort in training and put all my effort into designing my own training and putting effort into making sure that my mental space is right. Just because it's bigger than me at that point. Right. Like I have goals yeah. outside of just performance. Yeah. And Faye and I actually talked about this on her episode as well, but just the um, balance between entrepreneurship and, and mm. training, you know, cause it's different when you're training and you have like an eight to five job, you know, whereas you would think in entrepreneurship, well, you have a flexible schedule, so it makes it easier. And in some aspects it does make it easier where you can pick kind of your training spots some days, but there's also this like, you know, stress between like, do I be working on my business because you can always be working on your business or do I take that time, that valuable time to go train? Uh, You know, and whereas your business will on the outside would say, okay, well uh, your training helps your business and which it probably does uh, more so than mine does but um at the end of the day still you can coach more people with the time that you're spending training too and that's why you know some of the conversations we've had we don't have to rehash here but like figuring out what the training is going to give you outside of the the, the training right like Mm -hmm. what like what is it going how is it going to help the people around you or how is it going to help you achieve goals that aren't just like making money in business or running faster. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's other things that need to be accounted for at, for you as a human, as a person where the ability to like separate those things with when you're going to run and like when you're going to do work, like they all have meaning and they all mm-hmm. can tie together to make like your training could make your work better, right? Like more work 
doesn't necessarily mean better work. Yeah. And, and I, I've been able to, to, I've again, like it's very systematic, right? So there's times where I'm doing stuff and there's times where I'm not doing stuff. Um, but from an energy standpoint, I'm sure my business would do better if I wasn't training so hard, just cause like, yeah, it's tired. <laughs> it's just like a physical part of it. It's just like, so that's like the balance that I, that I will end up struggling with. Like when I was, I was putting in big miles last year and I had recorded a podcast and I went back and listened to it. And my brain was not working. I was like, I cannot <laughs> believe I spoke to a person while I was in this state. But, uh, so uh, the, from the energy standpoint, it's harder, but I think it's really valuable to have those boundaries and, and, Cause they're all linked. Like, right. Like mm. as athletes, we know you do work and then you need to recover from that work. Yeah. I find that to be the same with my actual business and my actual job, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a great point where like your recovery, we, we talk about, you know, on this show, we talk about recovery from a physical standpoint. Um, but we, we also have talked about from like a mental standpoint where, you know, there's the strain that competing and training puts on the mind, uh, you know, as well as business and, you know, family stresses and that kind of stuff. But uh, you need a way to recover from, the mental aspect of it too. Um, so you can't just be in your sport, you know, 24 seven, uh, otherwise you'll get burnt out as well. But, um, I want to talk to you just about like Spartan injuries versus running injuries. And do you see more or less from one sport? Man, it's like, so running seems to be a little bit more damaging. I find that runners actually end up being more injured and depending on what it, I think it's because of the amount of time that they're, they're spending doing one thing, mm-hmm. you know, and like the idea behind running more um, like volume rules all, and then like trying to layer on intensity and that they might not be physically prepared to handle either of those things. And it seems to be a little bit more destructive yeah. from that standpoint where OCR, because there's a little bit more balance and like, you can't be singularly focused on one area of training and mm-hmm. do well. Um, but the, the, like, and, but for running, I kind of know, like, I, I feel like I know what most of the injuries are. And when someone's like, oh, I'm feeling this, like, oh, it's probably because of X, Y, Z, or this, exactly. it's this, it yeah. could, it could manifest. It could be coming from here <clears throat> mm-hmm. for sperm races. No CR. It's just like, I have no idea what happened to you. <laughs> like, it, it, Cause they can get hurt like on the course. Like uh, it's, it's so it's always new. And then I'm, I'm just like, well, I don't know. So there's definitely more like trauma injuries sure. as opposed to overuse injuries. Um, and then like, there will be some more upper body, like elbow shoulder stuff that can happen just with intense grip work. Yeah. Um, so it opens up the scope of how people can get hurt a lot more, but I don't think people get hurt more often. They just get hurt in different, different ways, more creative ways, yeah. <laughs> more creative ways. Yeah. So if you, if you want more creative injuries, um, do a Spartan rather. Yeah. Than if you run. think you've had all the running injuries come into Spartan races, you'll get new injuries. Let me going to be great. Uh, yeah. And that's what kind of what I was like, expecting as well. I think just for my experience, I think it's given me a little bit more permission to have like this different body type as a Spartan athlete than a runner. Cause it, like we said before in this podcast, I was focused on being as lean as possible. Cause that's like, you don't want any upper body, you know, mass as a miler or 10 K or whatever, because that's just more mass you have to carry. Whereas in the Spartan, you're like, well, I need mass to lift mass. And <laughs> so yeah, physics uh, come into play. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
Yeah. And it's, um, that's, it's fun. Like a lot of runners do end up needing to add some or like maintain a certain level. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, uh, I spoke to Mark Battress one time who came in, he was like probably in the one thirties as a runner where he was like, and he was a high level runner. He was like two 18 marathon guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he's like in the mid one forties now. And he looks like a big runner. He's not a big, but he's not, he's not like a big guy, but he's yeah. like a, he's a bigger runner now. Yeah. So like, yeah, you kind of, there needs to be a balance of like, cause you're right. It comes down to physics at a point. Yeah, exactly. So where do you see as a coach, where do you see most athletes slack on recovery that just because of like the day-to-day grind? Oh, because as something outside of training. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So this one's tough, right? Because there's different avenues and different feelings that different athletes are going to have. Sometimes the exercise or the training is a stress reliever mentally. And sometimes it's a stress inducer, right? Mm -hmm. So like being able to know how the training and the movement is making you feel before and after, I think is an important thing to recognize because it's not always going to be beneficial um, to, to try to squeeze everything or beat yourself up if you're not able to squeeze it in because it just, that's added stress. Mm -hmm. And then if you do, if you're beating yourself up and worried about getting it out and you go out and do the run and it's not going to go well, and then you just added, you stacked more stress on top of it. So I think the the recognizing how the the training is going to serve you and giving yourself permission to recover from the stress of your day is an important thing to realize and like mm-hmm. taking and putting that on your radar as, as a possibility of what stress is and, and acknowledging it the same as it would be from a run from a yeah. long day that might beat you down at work or a lot of unforeseen things happening at work. Like that's okay. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's okay to, to not, to not train, I think. Yeah. So what you're saying is kind of take the, the stress as from the day as accumulative stress. And then, you know, you don't need to pile on, more on top of that so you can recover from that is that kind of what you're saying yes exactly and like there is an element like there's a way to relieve stress everybody has kind of their own methods and what's Mm going to work best for them a lot of times it is exercise for people and a lot of times people who do excel in endurance sports they like it because it does make them feel better during and after you know so it's not like a chore to do it but that's not everybody Mm -hmm. and sometimes that is something that people need to recognize that like it is still something on top of what you're already doing and stress is stress no matter what, in what form. Yeah. Um, But do you have like a, what about the idea of like, okay, you're so, so for me, I uh, like an easy run, like five mile easy run is just at this point in my life. It's like the most boring thing uh, I could think of a way to exercise just because I've done it so many times. Mm-hmm. And like at the end of a long day, if I haven't got that in, that would be probably not even a stress reliever at that point, unless if it's a really nice day and uh, you know, that kind of stuff, but maybe a swim or something would for me, like, would you suggest being just kind of being flexible with your training and saying like, Hey, I know maybe I was supposed to do four by eight hundreds today. And that just, I am so wiped. Like maybe a three mile easy run is going to help better. Yeah. Being, being adaptable and giving yourself permission to be adaptable and that it's okay when things happen and things are going to pop up in life. And that's just how 
it's going mm-hmm. to be. You know, you can't plan for like for these really stressful moments. Like you can't account for them at all times. So yeah, if you're able to be adaptable and you know what relieves your stress more, or even if it is like if you play guitar or something, or if you like to cook and that's a way that is going to help make you feel better. Or if you just like watching TV, whatever, like as long as it, as long as you're honest with what it is that you're trying to accomplish in that moment. Um, because I think we all are worried about sliding. I can't speak for everybody, but I think this is where I, what I um, would feel like is like sliding back into uh, like sliding into habits that aren't going to serve me long-term and, and confusing what is, stress relieving versus being like lazy or something like mm. can i do that like am i making excuses or is this actually helping and there's and that's hard to tell like there's no real line there to figure that out um so it's just like honest conversations that you have to have and, and and noticing how you're feeling before and after and during and like knowing if you made the right decision after the fact and, and being honest because if you can run and like you decide not to just because like maybe you just don't want to like you'll know it you know, so it's just about like being honest with that and yeah, and being adaptable yeah. with, with what's coming through. Yeah. And that's hard. Cause you can't from a, like a coaching perspective, you can't see that from the outside and it's only from the inside out where you can say like, no, I took this off because I actually you know needed it rather than I was just lazy today. Right. And that's like where like the evolution for myself as a coach has really been going is like, l- trying to lean into what the athlete needs and helping them figure out what they need Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like, well, you didn't do four runs in the past two weeks. So of course you're not getting good results. You need to do this. Like that's not necessarily the case. If it was that easy, like what would a coach be? What what would, why would anybody need that? That's a training plan. Right. Yeah. So like once an athlete, like working that out through what an athlete can learn from themselves is going to be way more valuable than what I could tell them. So like at least having these conversations to like push them toward understanding mm-hmm. what is going to be valuable for them and what's valuable for them isn't going to be the same for me and the same for you, but there is a place and they're going to know what's best. They're always going to know what's best for them mm-hmm. more than I would. So like, that's kind of like, as I've matured as a coach, because that's really what a coach is supposed to do, right? Is help to get the best results from the athlete. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, I know on your website and through your Instagram, you can get um, access to this as well, but you have a macro nutrient calculator. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just like, what, why, first of all, why is it important to track macros? What's kind of the purpose there? And then walk us through kind of the, this theory of, of that. Yeah. So I find macros is just very, really cut and dry, right? It's like mm-hmm. eat this much protein, eat, th- eat this many carbohydrates, eat, eat this much fat, which are your macronutrients. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's just adding up the caloric intake that you need, but just broken out into these different nutrients and then just like figuring out like what's going to be the appropriate way. And then learning what food is, what, what foods encompass all these different macronutrients. Um, it's a really good way to dial in your nutrition to make sure you're getting the appropriate amount of fuel that you need, making sure that your fats are high enough so that your, your hormone functions and your bodily functions are, are working mm-hmm. well and getting enough protein so that you maintain muscle mass as an endurance athlete, because it's a catabolic sport, right? Like we will wear muscle and, and, and tissue down, but if we're able to replenish with protein, it typically would stay on. So it's really important for OCR athletes in particular. 
Um, so that's kind of the idea behind macronutrients in general. Um, and so the question is like, what was the deal with the calculator? Yeah. So like, this is a style of like, quote unquote, dieting that you like, you might see something like if it fits your macros or something out there, like there's a bunch of different things. You can find a bunch of macro calculators Mm -hmm. online. And again, it's more geared toward the general population and the work rate that people put out as endurance athletes is just so much higher. And the nutritional needs are so great that there is not much that's going to account for the runner or the endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. So there's information available that will, and calculations that you can figure out of like how much you're going to burn through a 10 K run or a, you know, 10 mile run and being able to know what that is and replenish that is just going to be really cut and dry. Right. It makes things just a little bit more easy. It's like, I know I burn this much, so I know you need to eat this much. And that's that. Yeah. Um, so that's what the calculator kind of does. It gives you like, so if you ran, if you weigh 150 pounds, ran 10 miles and you're like, and your job is relatively sanitary, like you'll know what exactly will, not exactly around what you probably yeah. burn that day. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at this now and it's pretty in depth. I mean, you even have like, when are you working out during lunch hours? Is that, um, so then your meals are your, you know, basing what nutrients on what meals on, on that as well. And you can plug in like how far you're running, how far you're biking, what's your strength hours and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the calculator will break it out where it'll say like, it'll be like, how many meals do you eat per day? It'll be like six meals per day. And then it will be like, okay, so if you work out after lunch, your breakfast should be this, your second meal should be this, your post-recovery should be this. And nutrition meal timing i found especially for the endurance athlete is helpful just because this the the mass of food ends up being quite a bit uh and especially because i like to recommend a lot of protein and and protein is really hard to get like i like to recommend at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight um so for me away like 165 that ends up being a quite a bit if you're going to eat in three meals um, and if you ever tried to eat, track your protein and, and eat a lot of it, um, it's hard. It's like mm-hmm. really satiating. It's really filling. It takes a long time to digest. So being able to kind of break it out is what I found has been the easiest for the meal timing. But for the most part, it's about getting, what I found is getting the macronutrients in as a whole. And then the meal timing is just kind of the next step to kind of like turn the dial a little bit more, um, a little sure. bit more tight. Okay, cool. So what would you say as far as like timing goes, somebody is just getting off work, they like, I am super hungry. But I know I have, you know, a workout right now, and I need to do. Um, Is there anything that they can eat for that's not going to upset their stomach? Or that just gives them like that little curb of um, hunger, you know, curbs their hunger and gives them a little extra for the workout? You're talking like 30 minutes before. Yeah. You know, 20 to 30 minutes before. Yeah. You're probably better off leaning toward liquids at that point. Like if you are concerned about like the energy that you're going to have, because maybe you didn't eat enough throughout the day, but if you take care of breakfast and if you take care of lunch um, and maybe it's just like a five hour span between that and your workout and you just feel hungry, that's more of a craving. That's not necessarily hunger. You know, like you're, you have fuel, you're going to be able to do the workout. And when it starts, you're probably going to be fine. But if you're worried about the actual hunger of it, and if there are, if you feel like you're going to be low on your nutrients, I think fruit juices are great. I think carbohydrates are Mm. a little bit, carbohydrates, they are easier to digest. So you can even get like a carbohydrate powder, which just mixes with water and ends up tasting like water. But 
like I think fruit juices are a really good way to go on that end or anything that's going to be a real easy carbohydrate, like a simple carbohydrate is probably yeah. going to be the easiest to digest. Cool. That's what, I've, that's what yeah, I found actually too. Um, fruit juices is kind of what I go to except orange juice. Cause, um, I've thrown up after orange. It's, juice. Like, it's too acidic. Man. Yeah. I don't want, yeah. Like that could like come up and nah, like, so those like naked fruit juices, um, those are awesome. And like, if you're like in the calculator, if you go for, and if you punch in, if you do like a 12 mile run, you're probably going to be looking at 300 plus carbohydrates, no matter what you weigh. Um, and that's going to be a lot for most people. So like those fruit juices come in clutch then too, because there's going to be like 60 to 80 grams of carbohydrates, just in like a 12 ounce juice of, of no yeah. sugar added or anything like that. So it's just yeah. like the natural sugars from the juice. Do you track your macros on a daily basis now, or do you kind of have it dialed in where you just kind of know? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm I'm more intuitive around. Uh, I don't eat very different each day. I eat pretty much the same thing every day. Um, but like when you are really tracking your macros, I think there's time and place for that. If you have a specific uh, weight loss goal, or if you want to see how you're recovering and just making sure that it's going to work, mm. I feel like it's better to do it in waves. I did probably track my macros every day for like two or three years. I still dabble just to see probably every day to see like kind of where I'm at or like how just to make sure I'm reaching the amount needed for the day of exercise that I've had. Um, but for the most part, I can kind of tell, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm at this point, I've done enough that I know the signals of hunger. I know this, mm-hmm. the, like the signals of potential overtraining. Um, it really gets into my sleep. Um, it'll hurt like my sex drive. I'll get like low grade headaches. If I'm not quite there, if I'm not meeting that over and over, I'm kind of digging myself this, this hole, um, the scale will, will go down some, but it'll usually I will catch those type of feelings. Um, usually in sleep during sleep that will make me aware that I might be undernourished. Um, and, and being able to, to, since I've have calculated and, 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 tracked for so long and I, I can have a good idea of how much food is going to make me feel and how it should make me feel. Um, so it's definitely a pain to track your macros, especially if you do it from first, but it's a really good exercise just so you know what's in your food. And you just, so you understand like how many, how much fat's in a tablespoon of peanut butter, (laughs) like measure it out. Like how much is a tablespoon of peanut butter? Like how much six ounces of chicken, how much protein that is like how, what that feels like, how much is a cup of rice? Like, how does that feel to eat that? How does it, and how does that affect your performance the next day? How does it affect the scale going forward? Um, yeah. It's just more data to yeah. kind of consider. And I think it kind of holds you responsible to, to what you're eating if you're recording it, uh, which it is definitely can. And that's plus in itself too. Right. And that, that, that's all, that can kind of lead you down a whole different thing in terms of like nutrition habits, right? If you need to be held yeah. accountable for things as opposed to just like the macronutrients, the, the calories in calories out. Yeah. Well, hundred percent. So, uh, <clears throat> you can get that macro count calculator from, I know, uh, in the link in your Instagram bio at, um, uh, reinforced running rich uh, yes. reinforced underscore, underscore running, running underscore Ryan rich or is it rich rich. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then is there anywhere else they can get that? Is that on your website too? Um, it's on, uh, like I have a YouTube 
video that explains the calculator mm -hmm. and explains how to use it. Um, so it's a really good place to find it too. You can, you can get a link from there. It's not necessarily on the website. I don't believe okay. there might be some blog posts that do have it within there. There's yeah, there's definitely one or two blog posts that are on the website that you can get it, but it's not like a short link to it. Sure. Um, but there's a YouTube video that does explain how it works. And then like you, you can, you can get it from that YouTube video and you can go back and watch it just to like explain it. Cause it, it's a little overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes people get and they email me like, um, what is that? Like, how do I do this? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Listen, just punch in how many miles you ran and just eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's if, it. If you don't know your way around a, a spreadsheet and have done like in-depth formulas and that kind of stuff, it's definitely, um, could be confusing. I need to, I need to pretty that up. Jace, what do you think? I think I could sell that. You think if I like pretty it up, made it an app. Oh yeah. One nine, right, uh, 99 cent app. <laughs> right. That's too much. No one pays for apps. I got to figure out, <laughs> I got to figure out a way to get them to opt in for free and then charge them later. Put yeah. a paywall up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let them calculate it all, but then don't show them the results until they give you a dollar. each. Let's time. Get, I'll just get hate mail. <laughs> Bunch of two-star reviews. <laughs> uh, cool. Cool. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time here. So um, what is the best place for somebody to follow along with you as an athlete and you as a coach? Yeah. As, as an athlete, Instagram is going to be the best bet, like reinforce underscore running underscore rich. There's a lot of coaching content on there as well. Uh, a podcast, the reinforce running podcast, mm -hmm. where we talk a lot about obstacle course racing. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of training based stuff. A lot. Uh, we're, we'll dip in the CrossFit here or there with mostly obstacle course racing and running. Um, so that's where we'll have guests and, um, the obstacle racing collab, which is again, that side project that we got going on is another good place to, to follow, uh, follow me as an athlete and a lot of, and, 14 other athletes who are kind of in the same level trying to trying to break out um trying to get to the, that those national podiums you know yeah awesome cool well we'll have links to your website your podcast your instagram and the obstacle course um the the obstacle course or obstacle obstacle racing we, just, we call it we call <laughs> it on, torque we shorten it up <laughs> torque easy yeah I've, I've seen it torque so many times i get confused with what it actually stands for um and then i'll also link we'll find the link to that youtube video for your macro calculator cool. yeah uh um, link all that kind of stuff in the show notes so if you need more rich ryan in your life you can go find that in the show i'm notes. available yeah <laughs> so awesome well rich it was great to have you on the show thanks so much for uh embarking your wisdom uh, on us thanks jace man this is a blast thank you so much